The Old Testament reading for this, the third Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the book of Exodus, the 19th chapter. The people of Israel set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. On your wondrous works I will meditate. And I will declare your greatness. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the fifth chapter. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person... One would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel serves as the text for our sermon this morning comes according to St. Matthew, the ninth and 10th chapters. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, But the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. 
The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, where the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over... Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And this is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is walking through the towns and villages of Judea, preaching the gospel message of salvation. And as he does so, he sees the state of the crowds that are coming to hear him. Matthew tells us that these people were harassed and helpless, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. You can just see the people flocking to Jesus, miserable, desperate, the very embodiment of the huddled masses. Now often when we hear this passage, we think of people with physical needs, and certainly many of them were. Jesus performed many miracles during his ministry, healing sicknesses and disease, raising the dead, bettering people's worldly situation. But when he calls the disciples over, it's not the earthly needs that he draws their attention to. It's something much more than that. Yes, these people may have been harassed and helpless socially as well, what with the Roman occupation and all, but even that's not the worst of their problems. What really bothered Jesus was the fact that the people were harassed and helpless spiritually. The religious leaders, the ones who were supposed to be preparing these people for the coming Messiah, for the most part, they were not doing their jobs well at all. Like a shepherd who leaves the flock to fend for itself, many of the religious leaders had withdrawn from the people in order to maintain their own sense of righteousness. They didn't want to get dirty helping these people. 
They didn't want to risk catching the sin of the rabble. They didn't really care about the crowds because they were so certain of their own holiness. And so instead of teaching God's word to all people as they were supposed to, many of these men were happy just keeping God's word to themselves, not wasting their precious time on the common folk. Or what's worse, many of those who actually taught the people taught them wrong ideas. The Pharisees of the day proclaimed that the way to heaven was by perfectly following God's law. Do exactly as God commanded, never sin, and then you will earn heaven. They would harass the people, shower them with guilt and shame, using God's law as a club to spiritually beat people over the head. Pointing to their own lives, they would say, Why can't you be more like this? Why can't you people live as perfectly as I do? God wants nothing to do with sinners like you. And so the people of Israel were left in a desperate situation, helpless and harassed indeed. Those spiritual leaders, the ones to whom the nation looked for guidance, they had twisted and perverted God's word, leaving the people confused, broken, and hopeless. That's why Jesus felt such compassion for them. That's why he pointed out the people's condition to his disciples. That's why he tells them to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This was not a lesson in farming for the disciples, but rather a proclamation of what they were to do. The harvest is plentiful. There are souls out there ripe for the picking, yearning to hear that true word of God proclaimed. The people are in need of that which they had been denied by the teachers of the law. The so-called rabble that the religious leaders were ignoring, they are the exact people that Jesus came to redeem. That's the harvest that Jesus is talking about. And yet the workers who will proclaim this true and pure word, they are few. So Jesus tells his disciples, pray earnestly to God that he would send out faithful workers to bring in this harvest of souls. And as he tells those 12 men to do so, he tells us as well. The people of Judea way back then, they are not the only ones who were harassed and helpless. The people of our world today are just as much like sheep without a shepherd. People today wander from philosophy to philosophy, religion to religion, fad to fad, seeking something to fill that spiritual void in their life. Look around you today at all the people who don't have faith in Jesus Christ, who look to themselves or Allah or transcendental meditation or social activism or culture or politics or whatever else they can find and touch and experience. Look at our own congregation. How many names are on the membership list but are never actually here? Those who feel that they have no need of God's word in their lives. People who have left over petty arguments. Family members who claim, well, I'll start going once things settle down a little bit. Friends who have perhaps let their faith die without even realizing it because they're too busy fishing or camping or working or sleeping, or drinking, or shacking up, or sports, or whatever it might be that they find more important than church 
and God's Word in her life. It's a very real problem. How many souls are out there right now lost because they have never heard the pure gospel proclaimed in all its truth? How many have heard but have turned away and nobody has tried to bring them back? Millions? Billions? The harvest is beyond plentiful. The harvest is bursting at the seams. There are so many souls without faith or with weak faith just waiting to be brought into the kingdom of God. And so like the disciples, according to Jesus' words, we too pray. We pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest field. We pray that God might send faithful people into the world to proclaim his word to all nations. We pray, Lord, send your workers out. Send your faithful people into the world. Send everyone except me. I mean, let's be honest, that is our typical prayer, isn't it? Lord, let your kingdom grow without bounds so long as it doesn't inconvenience me. Just like those Pharisees and teachers of the law from way back then that we like to point our fingers at, we ourselves neglect the work that we have been given to do as Christians. We know that we are to proclaim God's word at all times and in all places, and yet so often we give in to our sinful human nature, keeping that message of salvation to ourselves. We want the harvest to be brought in. We want people to know about Jesus, but we don't want to be the ones taking risks or doing the work. We pray for a bountiful harvest of souls, and we indeed hope God sends out his workers as long as he doesn't expect it to be us. Because after all, it's hard work. It's thankless work. It's even dangerous work sometimes. When you proclaim God's word in its purity, you are going to offend many people. You are going to alienate some people, probably some who are very close to you. You are going to risk humiliation as people label you a Bible thumper, a Jesus freak, a bigot, or worse. You're going to miss out on many of the supposed pleasures that this world has to offer, denying yourself those sinful indulgences in order to bear witness for Christ. Theft, adultery, disregard for authority, gossip, dirty language, taking God's name in vain, all those things that the world says are fun and good and admirable, you are called upon to stand up and say, No, I won't take part in order to proclaim your faith to others. And that's hard. It's really hard, given how prevalent sin is in our world. And so our sinful nature says, if it's hard, why should we do it? Especially when we consider the fact that by earthly standards, doing the Lord's work is not always that rewarding. If we're going to work that hard, we think we'd better get some sort of compensation for it, right? We better be making money hand over fist or making a big name for ourselves or somehow being rewarded for all that effort that we put in. More often than not, though, we don't see those earthly rewards for doing God's work. Jesus never promises riches or fame for his disciples. In fact, he says flat out, you received without paying, give without pay. That's not exactly the motto of our lives, is it? What we do receive, though, is ridicule and pain 
and suffering, sometimes even death. Jesus says that he is sending the disciples out like sheep in the midst of wolves, that people will deliver them over to the courts, have them flogged, drag them before the authorities, all on account of their faithfully doing the Lord's work in the harvest field. The world does not appreciate being told that it is sinful and wrong, and so it persecutes those who proclaim God's word. Persecution is not fun or enjoyable, and it is something generally that we try to avoid in our lives. And so our sinful nature says one of the easiest ways to avoid being persecuted is to just stop proclaiming God's word. Let someone else do it. Let someone else take risks, because I'm happy and I'm comfortable where I'm at. Besides, I'm no good at that kind of stuff. I can't talk about my faith. I can't convince others. I'm not the right person for the job. So says our sinful human nature. And you know what? For once, our sinful nature is actually right, at least partially. You really aren't the person who can do these things. You couldn't effectively share your faith with others. You couldn't stand up and boldly proclaim Christ in the face of adversity. You couldn't convert someone to Christianity even if you tried. You couldn't do any of that. Not by yourself, anyway. You are sinful and mortal and flawed, just like me. Just like the most staunch and faithful member of this congregation. Just like everyone else in the world. By yourself, you don't have the power, the courage, or the authority to proclaim God's word to win over souls, or to even profess your own faith. By yourself, you can do none of this. But Jesus never expected anyone to do the work by themselves. Jesus knows that we are sinful and weak and cowardly. He knows that we ourselves have no power to forgive sins or bring people to faith. That is why he has sent his Holy Spirit to us. He says, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your Father speaking through you. By God's word, we have been empowered and authorized to go into the harvest field and reap souls for Christ. We are not doing the work, but rather the Holy Spirit is doing the work through us, in spite of us even. We don't convert people to faith. Rather, the Holy Spirit speaks through us and instills faith in others. We can't proclaim our faith to others by ourselves, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can face all persecution, even torture and death, and still profess our firm Christian beliefs. On our own, we too are helpless and harassed, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are bold and powerful. We are made more than conquerors. God has given us the power and the authority to do his work, to proclaim his gospel, to forgive sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And how did he do this? Not not by some magical zap from heaven leaving us with these superhuman powers and this really cool, unearthly glow. Instead, he has given us this power and authority through the means of grace, his word and his sacraments. When we proclaim our faith to others, we simply proclaim God's word. 
We may do so in our own words, but all that we are proclaiming is God's word. That's what brings people to faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. It's not our eloquent speeches, our impassioned pleas, or our witty banter that bring people to faith. It is simply the word of God spoken through us, through our words and our deeds. And it is that word of God that gives power to his church and to his sacraments as well. Without that word, baptism is simple water. Communion is nothing but plain bread and wine. But when those humble earthly things are empowered by God's word, they bring to us forgiveness of sins, strengthening of faith, and everlasting life. It is God's word that works miracles. God's word that brings people to faith. God's word that brings in the bountiful harvest. And it's that very word that called each of us to faith as well. It's that word that gave us our faith and which sends us out into the harvest field. We didn't choose Jesus. He chose us. In our baptism, God called us by name, lifted us out of death, proclaimed us to be his own. And now, by God's grace, we have been given a zeal and a desire to do his work, even though our sinful human nature would rather not. It is not natural to our human nature to want to proclaim our faith, but by God's grace... By the power of his Holy Spirit, we can and we do. Look at the twelve apostles. These were not men you would have expected to change the world. They were just your average Joes, mostly blue-collar guys, pretty rough around the edges, actually. Probably guys you would not have gone out of your way to even associate with. Fishermen, tax collectors, even a social activist. By themselves, This would have been one motley bunch of grunts. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, they became the pillars of Christianity. They spread the word of God throughout the world, boldly proclaiming Christ crucified, forgiving sins, bringing in that harvest of souls. Not by their own power, because they were nothing special. Only by the power of God could they do all these things. God gave them the power the authority, the courage, and the desire to proclaim his word to this fallen, sinful world. And God has given that same power, authority, courage, and desire to each and every one of us. You don't have to be a missionary in deepest, darkest Africa to be God's worker. You don't have to be a televangelist broadcast in all 50 states and parts of Canada and Mexico. You don't even have to be a pastor elder or a councilman to be doing God's work, to be workers in God's harvest field. By the power of God, every single one of us is a worker in the field, bringing in that great harvest of souls in our daily lives. God has made us, his church on earth, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, proclaiming his glories to the world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, We profess our faith to those around us, those that we just have regular daily contact with. We profess that faith not only in the words we speak, but also in the way that we live our lives. God has given us our faith. He has forgiven us of our sins. And so as Christians, our lives reflect the grace and mercy that we have. Yes, we still sin, but by God's power, we can resist that urge to live lives of constant sin 
And as we do, we bear witness to our faith to all those around us. We live our lives in a God-pleasing manner, not to earn our salvation, but because we know that we have already been saved, and so that others can see that salvation, that peace, that joy that is present and active in our lives at all times. All this not by our own power, but simply by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So even though it's hard work, even though it may not have the greatest earthly rewards, we now have a desire to do the work of the Lord. He has given us the power and the authority, and he has equipped us with his word and sacraments, and he himself is with us at all times. And so as we pray for workers to be sent into the harvest field, we no longer give in to our sinful nature and pray, let somebody else go do it. Instead, we hear that call, and by our God-given faith, we respond, Here am I, send me. For we want the whole world to know what God has revealed through his holy word, that by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.